Merry Christmas, Woodlands Church. How are you? Yeah. Well, today we're going to do things a little bit different because this is a very special weekend at Woodlands Church. This is the weekend every year that we give our Heart for the House offering, and it's a very special time, so at the end of the service we'll be doing that. Um, but if you're a first-time guest, don't feel obligated to give. Let us just give to you today to um, bless you with what Christmas is all about. In 1930, a figurine of the baby Jesus was stolen from Our Lady of Grace Church in Hoboken, New Jersey. But last spring, baby Jesus showed up again in a package on the front door of the church. And it was sent by an anonymous sender who wrote a little note and returned the baby Jesus to the church after almost 90 years of being gone. And the note said, I don't want to reveal my name, but someone in my family in the past, apparently one of this person's grandparents, had stolen the baby Jesus as a prank and then kept it in the family and passed it down and kept telling the story. Until this person inherited it and wanted to make it right and sent it back to the church. So the good news is the church members at Our Lady of Grace Church in Hoboken, New Jersey, now have their baby Jesus back and the display of their nativity this Christmas. Yeah. But the real good news is the church still celebrated Christmas over the past 88 years. And because some prankster stealing a figurine of the baby Jesus can't steal away Christmas. We do, however, have something going on today where the politically correct crowd is trying to steal away the symbols of Christmas from public life. We're told now we're supposed to call it a holiday tree rather than a Christmas tree. And all these nativities are being taken out of the public square after all these years, or they're adding all these different types of symbols along with the nativity, like the Illinois a state house and the rotunda joined Michigan in put it, letting the satanic church put out a symbol of its satanic um, worship right next to a nativity. I mean, we become so concerned with not offending everyone or anyone that we insult everyone's intelligence because it's Christmas. It's not the holiday season. It's not the winter solstice celebration, it's Christmas. Now, we respect our Jewish friends who celebrate Hanukkah around the same time, and we respect all religions and their celebrations, but December 25th is Christmas. And I have to say that it really bugs me when people try to take Christmas out of the public square. But as much as that bugs me to see the politically correct crowd try to take the symbols of Christmas out of public life. There's something going on that's much more sinister and destructive right under our noses, and that is we have an enemy who is scheming and he's crafty, and he's stealing the substance of Christmas right out of our lives, and right out of our families, and right out of our hearts. For you see, Jesus said, the reason I came at Christmas was to restore you to life, life to the full. But he said, you have an enemy, Satan, and his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal away the joy and the peace 
and the purpose of Christmas from your hearts and your lives. First, I want you to see that the enemy, the thief, wants to steal the simplicity of Christmas from our lives. Look at this verse. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Underline that phrase, simplicity that is in Christ. We let the thief confuse us and we make Christmas so complicated. It's so easy to let the stress and busyness of the season crowd out the powerful simplicity of Christmas to change our hearts and flood us with joy. In Luke 2, 7, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Son of God, born to a peasant girl in a lowly animal stable and then wrapped in plain cloth and placed in an animal feeding trough on a bed of hay. It doesn't get any simpler than that. But we get so preoccupied with things that seem so important that we miss out on the most important. That's what happened the first Christmas. And for the innkeeper was so excited about what he thought was so important that he missed Christmas completely. I can just see him rushing around frantically so excited that because of the census, all these people would have to come back to their hometown and this sleepy little village of Bethlehem was now overrun with people. And it was the busiest and biggest night in the history of his little hotel. And I'm sure that he was thinking about all the money that he was making and he was thinking about all of his responsibilities, trying to keep all of his guests happy when he heard a knock at the door. He probably thought, can't they read the no vacancy sign? But he came to the door and there at the door was a man and a woman who's clearly pregnant. And he said, we've got no room. But he did have a little bit of compassion. He said, but we do have an animal stable out back. I don't have time to show you where it is because I'm doing important things and I have important guests and important responsibilities to take care of, but, but help yourself to the animal stable. Where you see the busiest night in the history of his little inn caused him to miss the biggest night in the history of the world. He missed Christmas. And some of you are missing Christmas. You've let the thief steal the simplicity of Christmas from your life. You've gotten so consumed by the parties and getting the perfect present and making Christmas just perfect that you forgot about the perfect one that we celebrate. For Christmas is so simple and yet so powerful. And the simple, profound truth of Christmas is that we needed a savior and God sent a savior at Christmas. We needed a restorer and God sent a restorer at Christmas. We needed a restorer to restore our relationship with perfect God because of all of our sins and brokenness. We needed a savior to save us from ourselves. And you see, we, we think about that. And for those of you who are Christ followers, I mean, when you received Christ, he saved you. He saved you from all your past. He, he saved you, and you'll be in heaven one day. He saved you from your sins, and you received his free gift of salvation. But what you may not have realized is you need his saving every day. Not to save you from all your sins and give you a place in heaven, but to 
save you with his strength for today. We need him just as much today. We need him every single day for every breath. And we get so busy, preoccupied with what we think is so important that we miss out on connecting with the Savior. And we miss the simplicity of Christmas to restore our lives and to restore our souls. We need the Savior, the restore, to restore our souls, to restore the broken places in our hearts, to restore our broken and damaged emotions. And Christmas is right there. The simple power of Christmas to restore us, to save us. I need Jesus today just as much as I needed him years ago when I got saved. I need his saving today. I need his strength today. Some of you need to hear that because you're a Christ follower. He's in your life. You need to turn to him today and say, God, I need you here again in my life. I need you today. I need you to show up today. I need you to give me your strength today. I need you to give me your peace today in the middle of all the stress and anxiety. I need you to give me your joy today in spite of my circumstances. I need you here again today. And so what I want us to do is stand right now and let's sing to him a prayer that we need him here again. That we need his restoration. That we need his saving power here again right now because he's here to do miracles in our lives. This is gonna be an interactive service. So we're gonna to sing to the Lord and, and I know the presence of God is right here to make a difference in your life. God is in this place. You can be seated and he's here to meet you. He knows your need. He knows what you're going through. He has the power to meet your needs. And I wanna say to all of you worshiping with us through our broadcast and online ministry, everyone worshiping with us through our satellites, God has a word for you today. From the woodlands to the world, God wants to speak to you through his word today that he's here. He knows what you're going through. And he's here to meet you at your point of need. But there is a thief that wants to steal the simplicity of Christmas from our lives. And he also wants to steal the generosity of Christmas from our hearts. Christmas is all about giving. The prophet Isaiah foretold the first Christmas in Isaiah 9, 6 when he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God started the tradition of gift giving on that first Christmas when he gave us his son. Did you know generosity is the most mentioned virtue in the Bible? The words give or giving are mentioned 2,285 times. That's twice the number of times the word love is mentioned. Why? Because giving sets you free. Giving restores your soul. When you begin to let go, then your hand is open for God to give you all the gifts of Christmas, his peace, provision, his joy. And so giving is so important, but in our culture today, it's all about taking rather than giving. And the thief is trying to steal generosity from our hearts and lives. But not you, Woodland Church. I praise God for your generosity, getting your eyes off yourself and onto others. And it makes such a difference. In one of our over 100 ministries and missions, our Angel Tree ministry, last week, you provided Christmas for over 4,000 children 
We connect with 35 organizations in the area that have under-resourced children like CPS that wouldn't have Christmas without you. And you guys came through. I love to see it, it's amazing, yeah. And the most important thing is we're teaching our kids what Christmas is all about. Just watch. It's amazing, guys. And, you know, I appreciate all the FedEx trucks that donated their time and uh, in a very busy season. We loaded up like 15 trucks and sent them off to provide Christmas. And that's just one small thing. But generosity is the key. Restoring generosity so the thief doesn't steal it away from us. Now, Satan tries to steal the simplicity of Christmas and the generosity of Christmas so that he can steal away the blessings of Christmas from our lives. The blessings of Christmas are God's peace, his provision, God's joy that's not dependent upon circumstances. There was a time when the people of Israel had let the thief steal away their generosity and their simple devotion to God. And God said this in Deuteronomy 28, 38, You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. He's saying no no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you invest, no matter how much you spend trying to take care of your problems and worries for yourself, you're never gonna have enough because God allowed these locusts to come in and just devour everything. And when generosity goes out the window, the locusts of life come in. And we don't have literal swarming locusts that attack us, but we do have these locusts that the thief sends that devour our peace, devour our joy, steal our fulfillment, devour our provision that God intends for us. All these blessings were blessings that God intended for his people, but his people weren't receiving those blessings because they were allowing the thief to steal and devour those blessings. So how do we restore and reclaim what is rightfully ours as the people of God? How do we restore Christmas in our hearts? Well, Revelation 2, 4 gives us the answer. So would you stand in honor of God's word? And here we see in Revelation, God speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, you're doing a lot of things right. I mean, you believe in my word, you stand against evil, but there's one huge thing that you're letting the thief steal away from you, and it's keeping you from all the blessings that have your name on it. Follow along with me. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Dear God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you want us to have our first love restored, and you want us to experience all the blessings that have our name on it, that you intended for us. So I pray today that we would stop letting the thief steal Christmas from our hearts and lives, and you would restore it to its rightful place so that we can receive the blessings of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. He said the one thing you've let the thief steal is the most important thing, and that's your first love. He's saying, you don't love me like you used to love me. You've let other things crowd me out. And so how do I restore that first love? I've gotta restore Christ to his rightful place in my heart. You'll never restore Christmas until you restore Christ to the rightful place in your heart. In Revelation 2, 4, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. You see, the Christ followers at the church at Ephesus had let other things crowd out Christ. They had let other things become first place in their life, and even good things, their family, finances, you know, their worries, all these things, good things, bad things. They had let all these things, they still loved Jesus. They still came to church. It's just that other things were a little more important, and they lost their first love. So they lost the simple power of God's blessings in their life. And you leave your first love when Christ is no longer first place in your heart. To restore your first love, to restore Christmas and God's blessings, you gotta restore Christ to his rightful place in your heart, to first place. In Revelation 2, 5, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Underline those words, first works. To fall back in love with Christ, you gotta do the acts of love. Because a lot of people think love is just a feeling that you feel, and so they only act in love toward Christ when they really feel it and they don't feel it that often. But love is not a feeling, it's an action. It produces powerful feelings, but it's a choice and an action, a commitment. Love is always in scripture defined as in action. It's an action verb. Love without action is not love. Love is not a feeling. And so to fall back in love with Christ, you've got to do the acts of love, the first works. You've got to do the things that put Christ first in your heart, and then the feelings come along. And by the way, for those of you who are married, if you've lost that loving feeling and you don't have the same feeling as you once had, you've lost that first love, don't wait for the feelings to come back because they won't. You've got to act in love. You've got to do the first works. You've got to do the things that you did when you first fell in love, and then the powerful feelings will come back, but people are always waiting to start feeling it again before they act in love. And feelings follow actions, and love is an action. And so think about it this way. For those of you who are married, but maybe you just don't have that sizzle that you once had, you gotta do those things that you did when you first fell in love. I mean, some of you men did crazy stuff like write poetry. You haven't done it since. You know, you'd go on those long walks. You would um, sit for hours and talk, even though the ball game was on. I mean, that's when you knew you were in love. I mean, you would take time and you would give gifts and, you know, bring those flowers or whatever it was. You know, you got to get back to doing those actions and then the feelings come along. He so says, you got to do the first works by putting God first, by putting Jesus first again in your heart. So, what do you need to restore? What are the acts of love, those first works? Well, first, I've got to restore a heart of serving Christ because I can't love Jesus unless I serve Jesus. In Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. To be a great leader, you gotta be a great server. If you're not willing to be a great server, you can't be a great leader. But we many times wait until we feel like serving before we serve or until we have time to serve before we serve. And I've heard it a lot where people say, well, when things settle down, I'm gonna get involved in the church and serve in one of the ministries. But things never settle down. And so people wait to do the most important things until they finish doing the urgent things, and they're never finished with the urgent things, so they miss out on the most important things. And so I challenge you to restore 
a heart for serving Christ. And we have a great opportunity this Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve services are starting Friday. Can you believe that? This Friday, Christmas Eve starts. I want you to take out your program, would you? And in your program, you see the Christmas Eve service times for the Woodlands campus. We're having like 26 services at our three campuses. And to make room for all those people, there'd be over 40,000 people coming through our doors. And so I want you to look at the service times first. They're right here for the Woodlands campus. Starts Friday, December 21st at 7 p.m. I encourage all you guys to come to that one. It's an awesome service, and we make our most mistakes, and it's fun to watch that. And, and all these are the same service, except on Friday, the 7 p.m. service, we're gonna have communion during the service, Christmas communion. That's the only difference. But all the creativity, and this is gonna be so creative and so compelling and such a clear presentation of what Christmas is all about. Jesus will be so lifted up that I know that if you get a friend here, a neighbor, a relative, they're gonna experience the meaning of Christmas and their lives may be changed forever. So Friday, 7 p.m., and then Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11.30 and 6 p.m., and a 9 a.m. traditions, which is a little bit different. But, um, but all those are the same Christmas Eve service. And then Monday, December 24th, 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, and then 11 p.m. And, and by the way, um, unless you're bringing a friend, don't come to the 3, 5, or 7 on Christmas Eve, December 24th, because it's overflowing, and there'll be you know, a, a huge overflow. So we need your seat. But if you're bringing a friend or you're serving, um, you know, right around, that's fine. You know, come, come to that service if that's the, you know, the one. And so come to one of those services. But pick a service and invite a friend. And then I want you to serve at a service. Would you open up your program and then tear off that little tear-off sheet? Just tear it off right now because it's Christmas Eve, Will and Church volunteer. And I'm challenging you, we need every one of you, our regular tenders, to come and experience the blessings of Christmas and come to a service, and then we need you to really get blessed by serving. Serve at a service. And here are the biggest needs. We need people to work in the preschool ministry and to serve. You don't need to teach the lesson. Uh, we have experts in there to do that. We have great uh, children's pastors and teachers and children's volunteers, regular volunteers, but but we need you just to be in there to help them desperately. There'll be so many kids, and so that, that's a great one. And maybe you say, well, I, I'm not really um, gifted you know, in the area of kids. That's not really my passion or gift mix. Well, whose is that passion or gift mix? I mean, come on. You know, it's like I, I told my wife when our kids were little that I don't have the spiritual gift of changing diapers, but she didn't listen to that, you know? So we need you there. And then also in greeting and being an usher, greeting people, we need, you know, we need a thousand of you to greet people, you know, at all those services. And so to spread it out and to, and, to, and so we need, if you have the, the spiritual gift of breathing, we need you to do that. We've got a place for you. We'll teach you how to smile. By the way, when you sign up on here, um, we will give you a, a time. You sign up for your time and then we'll give you the time to be there, like just a little bit early and we'll, teach you exactly what to do, and you'll serve. And one of the greatest things is to teach your kids about serving at Christmas. Serve together. What a great thing for 
families to serve together greeting and your kids see that you experience Christmas and you serve at Christmas. You restore the heart of serving. Then you restore a heart for giving at Christmas because Christmas is all about giving to Christ. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you know your heart follows your giving? It really does. And so if you want, it's not that Jesus needs your money, he wants what it represents, your heart. He knows that if you hold on to things, then those things become first place in your life. And if you can't give, then Christ is not in his rightful place in your heart because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You can't restore Christ to his rightful place unless you have a heart to give. And if Christ isn't first place in your finances, he's not first place in your life because finances are important to us. If he's not first in your schedule, if he's not first in your finances, if he's not first in your relationships, he's not first in your life. It's not some ambiguous thing of being a Christ follower. It's putting Christ first in the most important areas of our lives and then seeing him work in those areas, knowing we can trust him. God blesses you to be a blessing. God blesses you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. That's why God blesses you. In Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Underline the words first part. It says, give God the first part, not the last part, not the leftovers, the first part. And then you'll experience the principle of overflow that God will give back to you more. That first part, that's the tithe in scripture. Tithe just means 10th or 10%. We're to give God the first 10% of all we make to put him first in our finances. To say, God, you're first place. I let go and trust you that you're gonna provide for me. And when I let go to God and I serve and I give, it's life changing because then we experience God in those areas that we tend to worry about the most. The people of Israel were at a point in time where the locusts were devouring everything that they worked for because they'd stopped putting God first. For you see, they knew this principle of tithing, they believed in it, and they would say, God, we believe in tithing. It's just right now, it's so hard, we can't afford to right now. We got the mortgage payment, and. You know, things are kind of tough, and the kids have all these lessons. I don't want to deprive our kid. You know that, God. You don't want to deprive the kids. And, I mean, we, we got all these things that are so important. You know, the chariot just broke down last month. I mean, it's tough, you know. Can't, you know, we, but we believe in tithing, giving back the first 10%. Yeah. You know, God, we'll get back to it as soon as we can. And what happened was they stopped putting God first, and they wondered why they could never get ahead. They wondered why that all the blessings would be devoured, no matter how hard they worked, no matter how hard they focused on themselves, because God says, get your eyes off yourself, onto me, onto others, and that's when I'll meet your needs. And I'll bless you with the most important things, the things money can't buy, but I'll meet your needs financially. I'll bless you to be a blessing. What a great opportunity we have, not only to serve, but to give through our heart for the house offering that we do every December at this time. And I want you to take out from your program your little heart for the house envelope and commitment card. If you, if you haven't got it filled out and ready to go already, then, then pull it out right now and take a look at it because the heart for the house offering that we do every year at this time 
is for our regular attenders. If you're a first-time guest, you don't have to, don't worry about giving. Um, you know, we're just so glad you're here experiencing this, but this is something we love to do every year. First, because it shows our love for Jesus and our love for his bride, the church. And so we give over and above our regular tithes and offerings to our Heart for the House offering as a time to really show our love for Jesus. And then also to really see him work in our lives, to trust him to give above and beyond, to trust him in this area that's so important. So it gives us a chance to trust him in faith and to go on a faith adventure with him and then see him come through and it builds our faith in a great way. I know many of you have been praying about what you would give and Chris and I have been praying about it and, and as, as we give today over and above our regular tithes and offerings, it's so exciting to be able to do that. And, and it is a, it always like encourages you and builds your faith and it frees you to let go, to let God fill you with blessings. Now, another reason is a practical reason. And our church, like most churches and nonprofits, 20% to 30% of our ministry and missions budget comes in in December. And so all of the ministries and missions in 2019 are totally dependent upon the offering, how, you know, what we do or how we, what we have to do or if we need to cut back, it all depends on the December offering in our missions and ministries. And so that's another practical reason, our heart for the ministries and missions of Woodland Church. But, but most importantly, we do it for ourselves so that we can show Jesus he's the birthday boy. And by the way, this started about 20 years ago at Woodland Church. Um, my wife, Chris, said, Carrie, how are we gonna teach our kids that Christmas is all about Jesus in our really materialistic society? And let's face it, we live in a very materialistic society, and, and, and you know, they can't help growing up in this materialistic society. There's nothing wrong with nice things and all that, and they get, we wanna give them all these presents, and Santa brings all these presents on Christmas, and that's great, but, but Christmas is not about getting presents. Is that all it is? How do we teach them that? And she said, you know, we need to give our greatest gift to Jesus. He's the birthday boy. Everyone else gets a gift but Jesus. So we're gonna give the most expensive gift to Jesus, and the kids are gonna see us write out that check, and they're gonna see us give to know that we put our money where our mouth is. And so we started doing three things in our family for Christmas. First, we would serve together at the Christmas Eve services. Then we would give our greatest gift, our heart for the house offering, and involve our kids in it to show that Jesus is first place. Christmas is all about Christ. And then we would read the Christmas story on Christmas morning, no matter what. And after like 25 Christmas Eve services, I've never had a hangover, but I know what one feels like. And my kids would always say, Dad, it's time to read the Christmas story. And I'd go, oh, yeah, where's the Bible? You know, you know. And then I'd read the Christmas story, or at least I think it was most of the time. And it was just part of it. We're going to do that first because it's all about Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you cut out serving and giving, you, you cut out the heart of Christmas. Because that is what it's all about. Because the first gift was given by God at Christmas, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to look at that little card, and you'll see there's different ways to give. You can give cash or check, and you can fill this out and put it in there, put it in the offering basket in a moment, or you can give online. You can give through our texting on your phone right now with, through our PushPay app. 
Um, you can give stocks, bonds, assets. There's a lot of ways to give, but the key is give. Even if you give online, um, write it down and, and turn it in as an act of faith. But I think it's so important to give. Now, here's the thing. We, all, we can't all give the same amount, but we can all give the same amount of sacrifice. You see, for some of you, if you give $100 above your regular giving through our Heart for the House offering, that's gonna be a sacrifice. You've been going through some difficulties, and it's been pretty tough this year. To give $100 would be a sacrifice. And for some of you, you'd have to give over $100,000 for you to even feel it. And I can tell you this, the person that gave $100 that didn't have it is gonna be more blessed than the person that gives $100,000 and doesn't really feel it that much. And so we're all in a different place. Every one of you, every one of us in a different place, but we can all give something sacrificially. And God cares about the heart more than the amount. And by the way, study after study shows that the more you make, the harder it is to tithe. And that's just because of greed. There's no other reason. It's like, God, do you really need all that? And God says, no, but you need it. You need a heart change. You need to give. You need to give for your own sake, for your own heart. And so as we let go, we receive the true blessings of God in our lives. And so we're going to give in just a moment. And we're going to see God do a great work in our hearts and in our lives. But right now, our children lead the way. And so they're going to come and give their gifts. They've been shaking you down for change the last few weeks. And, and so kids, would you come in to give your offering and just remember, this is just one of 14 services that we have on the weekend at our three campuses and all these kids. But these kids love God, and they want to put him first. And it's so important to let them know it's Jesus, and it's his birthday. That's what Christmas is all about. And so as they give, the cool thing is like last year, I think they gave like six or $7,000 in change and a few Chuck E. Cheese tokens. This year, you know, uh, all of the, all that they give is going to go right to the children in Haiti we minister to through our farmer's field school there to make a difference. And so connect children to children in a powerful way. And our kids are going to give to the Lord and just cheer for them. Thank God for them. You just, they lead the way. They lead us. A little child will lead them. He shall reign forevermore. You can be seated. Praise God for our kids leading the way. You know, if we restore Christ to his rightful place in our hearts, then he'll restore the Christmas blessings in our lives. Christ wants to restore the blessings of Christmas in your life. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. See, all the things you're striving for, God wants to give you if you'll just stop and give up and stop striving and put him first. In Joel 2.25, God came back to the people of Israel and he said, right now all the locusts are devouring everything because you're not putting me first. But if you put me first again, he says this, so I will restore to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. God said to the people of Israel, if you'll restore me to rightful place in your hearts, then I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. 
And he says that to you. And he says that to me. I'll restore your heart. I'll restore the years of regret. I'll restore the years of selfishness. I'll restore the years of guilt. I'll restore the years of loss. God wants to restore the years. He's the great restorer. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, told about a time he went to Cairo, Egypt, and he was with some missionary friends of his, and they took him down several back streets to a trash-filled alley, and there was a little gate that opened up to an overgrown plot of land. It was a cemetery for American missionaries, and they pointed out to him a gravestone which read, William Borden, born 1887, died in 1913. Borden was a Yale graduate who was heir to a great fortune, but yet he gave up a life of ease to be a missionary to the Arab world. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to help hurting people, and then he went as a missionary to Egypt, but after only four months in the ministry in Egypt, ministering to people and meeting their needs, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. And it seems like such a waste. And Alcorn said he knelt down and he dusted off the epitaph on Borden's gravestone. And he said after it described his love and sacrifice for God and his love for the Egyptian people, it ended with this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Randy Alcorn said, from there we went straight to the Egyptian National Museum and looked at the King Tut exhibit. And he said, of course, King Tutankhamun died when he was 17 years of age and he was buried with gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts because the Egyptians thought that they could bring all their material possessions into the afterlife. And Alcorn said, then I thought, what a contrast between the two graves. William Borden's grave was obscure and overgrown with grass next to an alley littered with trash. And King Tut's grave was glistening with gold. But where are those two young men now? As Borden died at 25 years of age. King Tut died at 17. One lived in opulence, surrounded by gold, but is now in a Christless eternity. But one who lived in obscurity is now living in opulence, walking the streets of gold in heaven with the gates of pearls in the mansion that God has designated for him. Because he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. And so now we get to come to that place where we give. And I have to say this, I don't talk about giving too often, even though giving is the most mentioned thing in the Bible, but I don't talk about it too often. And so I, I know that 30 seconds after you die as a Christ follower and you enter splendid heaven, the one thought you're gonna have this why didn't Pastor Kerry challenge me to give more? More of my time, more of my talent. Because William Borden realized you can't take it with you. You have to send it on ahead. 
And so let's bow together and pray before we give. Lord, we give to you, and we admit and confess that we're only giving back to you what you've already given us to begin with because you've given us everything we have. You give us the ability to earn. You give us, Lord, our health. You give us our every heartbeat, and we thank you for that. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give to you because, Lord, we need it. Our hearts need it. So we open up our hearts. We open up our hands to you to serve you, to give to you, to put you first in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for your promise to give back so much more. Things that money can't buy, peace, joy, and your love. But, Lord, more than that, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, at Christmas, and we do it out of love. And we thank you that you promised to give back to us the provisions that we need. You wanna bless us to be a blessing. We thank you for that, Lord. And use every dime, Lord, to make a difference in the lives of hurting people for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.